This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the Gain, Grow, Retain Podcast, hosted by Jeff Brunsbach and Jay Nathan, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Gain, Grow, Retain is built to inspire SaaS and technology leaders who are facing day-to-day challenges of scaling. Jeff and Jay share conversations about growing and scaling subscription businesses with a customer-first approach. Check out all the episodes. Recently, they did one on onboarding. Such a key thing when you want to get going, keep and retain those clients. So listen to gain, grow, retain wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jansen. My guest today is Jana Lee. She is a COO and operations consultant for digital entrepreneurs, specializes in executing scalable team and systems, infrastructure, and harnessing the true power of operations as a lever for compound growth. So Jana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, John. It's awesome to be here. So I would guess if we asked 10 people, 10 business owners, even what operations is, we would get a number of answers. So what's your definition of operations when you're talking to a business owner? That's a fantastic question. And I would agree. I would generally get about 10 answers. I've run that test. So I have, you know, it's actually funny. If you ask operators, you'll also get different answers. So I have my own. I define operations as any task or action required within a business to optimize its use of its core four resources, which is time, energy, money, and human potential. That is the broadest reaching definition that I can make that encompasses everything I believe ops to be. It is just about the efficient and streamlined use of resources across the board. And that definition has probably evolved a lot, hasn't it, over the last decade or so? I mean, I remember, you know, old school operation was, you know, managing the facilities and, you know, a lot of things that I suppose for a lot of companies are still relevant, but for a lot of companies just aren't even a part of the equation, right? Yep, absolutely. I would say that if you have a physical operation, we would maybe add physical capital as a resource to be managed. But with so many businesses moving online and remote teams and remote work becoming a new norm, I think the focus of operations has moved towards optimizing that environment. So I wonder too if if it's still even a department. If you think about a company, you know, structure as a department, or is it almost mm. a point of view or a culture? Or I mean, how would you kind of say that part has changed? Yeah, that's a great question. I oftentimes say that operations is the only department whose job it is to live between departments. Right. If we look right. at where the inefficiencies normally crop up in a business, it is in the handoff. It because you have sales fully focused on sales. You have client success fully focused on client success. They should be. That's their focus, their lens of the business, but nobody owns the space in between. And so that right. is always where balls get dropped. That is always where inefficiencies is introduced. And so the job of operations I really see is to look at the company horizontally and to live in between places and optimize for the inefficiencies that you find there. So I've been saying for years that marketing is everything because I really do think that what you just described, you know, marketing to sales to service is really a marketing. I mean, when you drop the ball there, you are performing a marketing function for good or for bad. Right. And so I've spent a lot of time in the last few years 
operationalizing or at least talking about operationalizing marketing because mm. you know the onboarding process i mean a lot of the things that we can quibble over what it's called sure. but i mean a lot of the sure. things that that i'm sure that you end up doing with folks i mean really do impact for good or bad marketing yep absolutely and i would say i agree with you that at the end of the day i think every role is just a lens, right? It's yeah, just a, yeah. a selective frame that you're taking of the company. You're looking at that data and you're processing it through that frame. So a marketer could look at the exact same set of data happening within a business and get a totally different analysis and outcome and deliverable from that than the operator, than the salesperson. And I think that is the point, right? Like you want people to be focused through a particular lens and towards a particular outcome. And operations just happens to be one where they need to be looking more places than the average role. So culture inside of organizations is, you know, mm. certainly been a buzzword for, you know, the last 10 years or so. But I think a lot of companies really are realizing, hey, it it has value to the bottom line. It has value to, you know, the customer experience, all those things. But more yep. and more companies, especially some that were forced to be distributed during, during COVID, I mean, more and more companies feel like they're losing that because, you know, you think of company culture as the picnic and sitting around, sure. the, you know, at the water cooler and things that it used to be. And so you work with a lot of folks whose t entire teams are distributed. So yeah. what are some things that people are doing to develop and, or at the very least maintain kind of that sense of I'm on a team? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And I would agree just to address like kind of the first part here, as far as culture as something that is necessary. Um, there's a reason that I added human potential as one of those four core resources. I see every yeah. company, it, it is this like wellspring that you are either tapping into or not. It's a bank account that you were choosing to get a return on investment for or not, right? And culture is a very distinct mechanism and lever by which to tap into that resource, optimize it, maximize the return on investment or not, because it's there whether or not you're using it, right? And so culture is one of the ways of doing that. And I think that goes for any company, remote or in-person, right? I think in-person, maybe you are able to rely on certain things just kind of spontaneously happening, certain spark points and team camaraderie and these sorts of things that happen naturally when human beings get in a room together. In a remote environment, you just have to be more critical around how you design it. But all of the same best practices apply. I think you just have to be more active in terms of how you cultivate that culture versus allowing for it to just kind of happen naturally in the background. But the reality is, is that if you're really trying to maximize this as a lever for growth, you should be designing it either way, right? Cultures that are allowed to evolve organically probably are not the cultures that are generating the highest levels of performance or the maximum level of alignment across the team. If you look at the world's best cultures, remote or otherwise, there is a critical design there. And I would say as far as best practices, there's a few. It's a very interesting thing, John, but the people that I always point to when it comes to the most amazing culture builders are cult leaders. Hmm. If you look at a cult and the behaviors that leaders are able to get out of cult participants, it's astronomical. Like the things that people will do, right? Like they will donate their entire life savings or they will move to Guyana and voluntarily drink poisoned Kool-Aid, right? If we are categorizing that as quote unquote performance, like that's the desired behavioral outcome, then what on earth are they doing to generate that kind of performance? And you can learn a lot that comes out of uh, those leaders, specifically shared language, shared ritual, yeah. right? I've seen really high quality corporate cultures or just business cultures in general are critically designed 
were things like the language they put in the core values or the rituals that they use to launch the meetings or wrap the meeting ups, uh, wrap the meetings up are really designed and put in place to make people feel like they are part of an us. And if you're part of an us, then I will sacrifice for the us and the us is not them, right? And so there's this very interesting dynamic where you have to build an identity around what it means to work at your company, right? That's why Google has Googlers and Zappos has Zapponians. Like they've done this very intentionally to make being a member of this team actually mean something very definable and very concrete. And if you're missing out on that definition, you're not actively cultivating that definition. You're missing out. I want to go way back to something you said before we went down that cool. funky uh, cult uh, thing. <laughs> Probably not the Be answer you were expecting. <laughs> because I think a lot of people, when they think of culture, naturally think about, oh, this is a place people like to work. And, you know, they like to come in here. It's friendly. It has perks. Mm. I mean, that's how people kind of think about it. But you said something sure. that I think might be the, one of the best definitions of, of sort of how to develop that. And that idea of if you focused all of your energy on maximizing each individual's potential, yeah. That would be a pretty great place to work, wouldn't it? It would be. My definition of culture is what happens when you're not looking. Yeah, right. right. Or at least that's the place that you can look to see what the culture is, right? But I was going to say that's a measurement that of it. You. Yes. That's a measurement yes. of it, right? But what I yep. mean is this idea of that, that because a lot of times people are like, well, how? And I think this idea of how is what if we focused on maximizing everyone's potential? I mean, some people yes. would not would not grow, would not, you know, but if instead of, you know, your job performance being, you know, you did what I said you were supposed to do, it was more about, yeah. did you grow? Yep. You know, that, I think that could lead to a lot of how. I think the most effective company cultures are ones where it is every individual manager's responsibility to help the employees understand how their company represents a vehicle for that employee's growth. When you yeah. can align the motivator and the why and the ambition of that individual and the growth capacity of that individual and help them see that this company is really just like an expression of that. It's just a vehicle for them to show up and get better at something and do their best work every day. And you've cultivated a, an operational infrastructure to support that person in doing their best work every day. Then you get high performance culture. Okay. We just, we just outlined like dream state, but what about all the companies <laughs> now that, you know, are hiring freelancers that have, you know, sure. offshore workers that have people that they're not really invested in the outcome of the company. They're invested in doing what they agreed to do. I mean, how do you balance that? Because that is for a lot of companies, that's a great way to get work done. But how do you sure. balance that with keeping a, keeping a company kind of team culture alive? That's a fantastic question. I would say it comes down to two things. First off, it's the decision-making of the company and who they choose to hire and how they choose to hire them. Like I've worked with quote unquote VAs, right? Virtual assistants that are off in the Philippines. Right. I've never met them. I never will. Who I would say are emblematic of my culture. Like they're the best performers yeah. across the company by that standard, right? And so you can choose as a business, is culture going to be a core facet of this company? If so, are we willing to make hires and fires around it? Are we willing to sacrifice maybe the cheapest labor for the labor that's in alignment with our culture? And that's a decision. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong. It's just a matter of, again, how much are you tapping into the human potential within your team? Because the VA that feels aligned and bought in and like their work has purpose is going to generate a higher level of performance and productivity than the VA that shows up, has to have every single second of their time tracked because that's how you build them and then they go off. Right. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. it's, it's a decision. And if you need to selectively bring in contractors, 
then you're bringing in contractors and they're filling a specific role. And that is kept separate from us, the core culture, the core group, right? We are still us and we can leverage the experts in our field to help us fulfill on certain deliverables without the expectation that those people be a part of us. And now a word from a sponsor. You know, small business owners have a lot on their plate, but luckily you don't have to be a graphic designer, extraordinaire, superstar, creative strategist, or marketing maven to make your work come to life on social. With Vista Create, you can create beautiful assets without design experience or needing to delegate to a third party, making it the ultimate hack for creating slick visuals that boost engagement. You can have designs that look like they took hours, made in minutes. And you can try it out for free at create.vista.com. One of the things I see happen quite often, or I hear a lot of talk about in the digital agency space or in marketing agency space in general, is that it's really easy to be that orchestrator and get a lot of work done without a lot of overhead and a lot of employees until you grow to a certain level. And then the word always is, oh no, now you need your internal talent. You know, you, you, you can't really you know, go beyond that just with freelancers. In in your working with the types of businesses that you work with, do you see that there is sort of a breaking point at which, you know, an internal team does better than somebody just kind of orchestrating a bunch of external members? That's a really interesting question. If I thought about it, I would say the breaking point wouldn't happen at a particular revenue level or anything like that, right? It would happen at the moment of growth where the decision-making has to be delegated throughout the company, where you as the business owner can no longer be single-handedly responsible for every action taken, every decision made, every task met, when you have to trust your team because there is simply too much complexity creep and scale within the business to do otherwise, then culture becomes a really important, to bring it back around, right? becomes a really important lever because those core values are the guiding benchmarks by which people make the, the decisions. And you can only trust the decisions being made and know that they're in alignment with the strategic vision of the company if you have guidelines around them. And if yeah. you have this kind of Frankenstein monster of all of these white labels and vendors and all of the sorts of things, right. right? those people have to be managed. That alignment has to be uh, cultivated. It can't evolve organically and it can't be delegated because they don't really know or care about the bigger thing that's being built there. And so at that point, it starts to break down and you require a lot of operational intensity at the top of the business, like management, in order to just make sure that people are constantly being kept in alignment manually, because that's never going to happen organically on its own. So when I think about operational efficiency, I immediately mm -hmm. think systems and processes, of documented course. systems <laughs> and processes. In fact, there's sure. a very popular book people are familiar with, Atomic Habits by James Clear, that one of my favorite quotes from that book is, we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. And I think that is so true from many of the people that, that I've worked with over the years. So how do you think about, and then how do you sort of operationalize this idea of creating systems and processes for, you know, growth <laughs> for fulfillment, you know, for all, all the yep. things, all the parts of a business. Yep, absolutely. It's a, I think that at the core systems and processes obviously are essential. Like it is a repeatable process that can have a single trigger and a reliable desired outcome. And we can process out everything in between. And that creates consistency. It creates reliability. Like there's a reason everybody loves SOPs and that SOPs are, are needed and necessary. Right. The, the question I put to people when they are designing those systems is through what lens and towards what desired outcome, 
Are you building this SOP to tell every single person what to do every right. single day at every single stage of the business? Because that can work. Like you can build a well-oiled machine that way. But what you've robbed them of is the opportunity to introduce their own creativity, their own innovation. Like if I was your employee, John, and you said, cool, here's the right way to do it. Well, that's the right way to do it. Why would I ever question that? It came from John. Like, I'm not going to put any time towards innovating or improving on this, right? I don't care. Like, it's his job. It's his deal. And so what I see is that if systems are being created from this place of like micromanaging activity, mm -hmm. then you end up losing a lot of the human potential, which comes through in creativity and innovation and like human error, right? And we have to balance those two things. If you build the systems from the perspective of, am I setting my employees up? to do their best work every day, right? Like that's the critical question. Am I supporting them to do their best work every single day? And every system that I put in place is either to take something off their plate or to clear a bottleneck in front of them or to give them a more efficient way of accessing the information that they need to do their work. Those are the systems where you can still allow for them to take ownership for their roles and continuously innovate on them. Because now if it's been framed that way, it's like, cool, hey boss, I need to change to this SOP because it's not allowing me to do my best work. Yeah. Cool. Now we can continue to innovate and move forward from there. Yeah. Cause I mean, the bottom line is if you, let's say you're going to delegate some process that you know works and you're going to bring somebody in who doesn't know, you know, anything about, you know, how to do it, that roadmap of here's the checklist will make them successful. I mean, you'll get the result you want. It yep. won't be confusing. Right. But then how do you invite that innovation? Yeah, definitely. I think it starts with, again, are you transferring ownership yeah. to innovate on that SOP? Like I roll out all of my SOPs to my team with the preframe that, hey, I expect this to change and I expect you to be the one to change it, right? right? This is just the best practices that we've figured out up until now. There is nothing about this that is fixed. And in fact, I hired you to be the expert in this role. Yeah. You know this role way better than I do, or you will in two weeks. So you tell me. How can I better optimize this system or process around you to set you up for success? So we need a, we need a new term there. Everybody uses best practices, but it's really just current practices and That's we're it. looking for better practices, right? Right. <laughs> Nobody right. has best practices exactly. or we're done, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I think if you wouldn't mind me going on a little rant here, where Go systems are breaking and falling apart for people and companies right now, because like COVID was the perfect example of this. When yeah. you live in a world that is changing that fast, Right, where every single day is bringing a new set of data and the need to respond appropriately to that data, then a well-oiled machine starts to break down because there's not enough time for the people at the top to truly understand what's going on at the front lines, have that like chain of command go all the way up, have a decision made, and then all the way back down. Right? It's like actually a quite rigid, unflexible, and inefficient structure. And yeah. so where SOPs as this end-all be-all like desired result fall apart is when what happens when they break, what happens when there's change, right? And so in the places, if I draw the distinction between where is your business complicated, meaning it's a series of processes that don't change all that much. We can break it down. We can build a machine here. And where is it complex? Meaning it's a dynamic environment that is changing every single day. That information needs to be taken in, responded to, and without any kind of like top down, there's no chain of command there, right? Where is it complex? Where it's complex, you can't have SOPs, it's like not a thing, right? You have to rely on these other harder levers like cultural alignment and strategic vision and transfer of ownership and autonomy to appropriately respond to those areas of the business. Because if you like maintain this desire for complication everywhere and making sure everything is complicated, 
those systems are going to fail in the face of complex dynamic environments. I think a lot of times <laughs> too, because there's so many books out there that you can read on systems, it's like people get overwhelmed because they think, oh, well, totally. we have 474 systems, you know, that we need to <laughs> develop and document. And they start developing and documenting stupid, meaningless stuff. Mm -hmm. And it, it really, a lot, most businesses I've worked with, if they just had five or six kind of core things, you know, really totally. locked down that they were always looking at, I mean, how growth happens, you know, how fulfillment happens, things like that. Yep. Those engines, you know, are really yep. the, the, the key driver, you know, from a process standpoint. Yep, absolutely. So, so, Jenna, tell us how, how do you engage folks? How do you work with folks? I mean, everything you've said is spot on, and I'm sure people are out there going, well, how do I get that, you know, as opposed sure. to just it being theory? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a big component, guys, that there are people whose zone of genius it is to think about the system and the process and where is it relevant and where is it not? Where is it complicated? Where is it complex, right? And so my big lever point is with those operators, the people who think that way, um, and that looks one of two ways. I have direct consulting, right? So I'll come in, do an audit of your business, tell you all of the bottlenecks and challenges lying in the way. And then we can talk about whether it makes sense for me to help you solve those. That's on the consulting side. On the coaching side, I will work directly with your operator. I will train them up to apply, take it away from theory and actually into executable actions and skills that can be taken back and applied to your business. And that's a four month training program. I call it Ops Academy. So those are essentially the two ways to get in touch, or those are the two services. If you wanted to get in touch, probably the best way to do it at this stage would be email. My website is going live here in just a couple of weeks, but as of right now, email would be the best. So we'll have your email and we'll have the website Beautiful. when we publish this. But maybe before we wrap this up, make that distinction of what an operator is. That may be a fairly new term, at least the way you're using it to some people. Sure, absolutely. So there is a single underlying talent that I assign to somebody who can be really stellar in operations, whether they're in a quote unquote ops role or not. And I call it level three thinking. It's essentially just complex systems analysis. It's the ability to say, cool, I see problem A and problem B, and I see how actually neither of those are the problem. And the root cause is all the way back here. And I see how that root cause is actually going to have ripple effects six months from now, right? There are certain people that when they look at the world, they break it down that way. If you have that underlying worldview, that underlying talent, then operations is just a set of skills and resources and knowledge and tools that can be layered on top of that to create world-class operations in your business. Whoever on your team has that worldview, that lens, that's your highest talent, your highest potential for an amazing operator. Again, regardless of the role that they fill. So maybe they're currently employed in operations and they need additional training and support in that role. Maybe this is just how they've like, you'll notice that they're the people who have gone in their role and started fixing things up where they see that they're dirty or broken or like could be better because they just can't not. That's just how they see the world. Those are the people to elevate into an ops position. Okay. Here's the bonus question then. Can, right. a, can that person be a CEO also? Can that person run a company or does a company need somebody who has strategic vision as more of their zone of genius, so to speak? Great question. I would say that there are a rare percentage of the population, actually it's about four to 5% of the population that can be both that strong yeah. charismatic leader, yeah. as well as the behind the scenes integrator. What I would say is that you should, if that's you, first off, it's probably not, but if it is run with that as long as you can. And at some point your business will still ask you to choose because again, it's two different lenses of the same set of data and you need both lenses represented at scale. Both lenses represent a full-time job. And there's a full-time yeah. amount of work to be done within both. And so when yeah. you reach that point, you will have to make that decision. 
But if you are that rare few, you can get away with being your own integrator, being your own operator for much longer than the average business owner. If you hate systems and processes, you're not that person. Don't try and be that person. You're actually costing your business money if you try and fill that role. I have no problem telling you I'm not that person. <laughs> but I have, that's an amazing okay. person. I have an amazing person it is. That's the real key is go. realize that and then get that person, right? That's it. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Jonna, it was great having you stop by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast and hopefully we'll run into you one of these days when uh, I'm out on the road or you're back in Colorado. I love it. Appreciate it, John. Great chatting with you. Hey, and don't forget, Vista Create is a graphic design platform where anyone can easily craft professional and unique content for social media and digital marketing. It's a combination of graphic design editor and an ever-growing library of customizable templates to suit any industry or occasion. Check it out at create.vista.com. You can try it for free. That's create.vista.com. 